conversations. And um, so we're kind of doing the show that we had planned to do last week. And then uh, for various complicated uh, reasons, we had to uh, reschedule for this week. But here we are. And um, this is going to be a really interesting evening because we have uh, two uh, components to it mainly. We have Leona Tate who is um, a really uh, interesting woman who is still at addressing the civil rights uh, of um, people in our city and elsewhere, who as a six-year-old girl had to walk through very hostile crowds of people as she integrated New Orleans schools. So Leona Tate is coming on. And... um, I have with me in the studio right now um, two people who have worked on a very unique production that's going to take a little explaining, but um, I have incredible admiration for these folks for uh, developing this project and bringing it to us. And it's particularly important to us right now because it really has to, in some ways, we have to really be aware of of how authoritarian governments around the world have caused suffering and restrictions for people um, when they get into power and have more power than they should and hold on to it for too long. Um, So Natasha Raymer is a founder and artistic director of something called Moscow Nights. And you're going to take a minute to see the connection here, but we're, we're going to develop that for you. And um, she is presenting um, a production of a, um, of a very interesting play based on a book about, it's called 24 Hours in the Life of Pontius Pilate. I am going to jump right in and have... Um, Natasha, explain to you, and I want you to get closer to the mic, um, what this is all about, why it's so important to her, and why she has worked to be able to present it here in New Orleans at Dillard University, coming up shortly. All right. So, Natasha and also Ray Frazell is here, and he is an actor and a director and professor of theater arts at Dillard University, and he's part of the production, but also part of why this is production is here, because I'm sure you put some effort into making sure it got here. Okay, so, Natasha, the 24 hours in the life of Pontius Pilate. It sounds pretty esoteric, <laughs> but you're going to explain to me why this is so important for us to see and hear. Uh, it chapters from a big novel of uh, by Michael Bulgakov, Master of Margarita, and this is chapter about really Ponty Pilate and his meeting with Jesus and Yeshua, it's called. And everything was happened during the, you know, the meeting. And the play, I think, this is what Bulgakov wanted. I feel the guilt who is holding by Pilate through all his life to, to the end. So this is... This is play, very political play, I think. It's very contemporary play because I bring in the script a person from the novel, it's called Voland, he's Satan. 
and Satan. This, Satan. Satan. Yes. And he don't mind me if I do that every once in a while to make sure my audience. No, uh, no, no. Satan. Yes, yeah. with two falling angels, and they drive the show, and they coming. This is what I decided. They coming out of space, and they looking for our Earth, and they think what's happened. People never change. People is people. People love money. People love power. Everything what's happened. But what do is they still have some idea of what they believe? Do they believe, for example, in God? Some people believe. Some people don't believe. But people know they have to live in very right way and love one another. Put in, put in a vernacular from New Orleans more is do the right thing. <laughs> I, yeah, I think, I think so. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important, especially today, in our days, to have this. And uh, I, I think what I have Ray Brazel who playing the secret sh sh chef of the secret service, you know, working for Ponty Pilot. Yes. Who uh, work with Pontius Pilate to take to bury the bodies? Um, one thing uh, I wanted to mention about the author Bulgakov is that he was uh, Stalin's favorite author during the Stalinist era, and the book didn't get didn't get printed or produced until the 60s, 1960s. So much after Stalin died. When was it written? It was written in the 20s, the 19. Uh, he wrote almost this book about 20 years. He was not very favorite, his writer. He only likes his one play. Okay. <laughs> one play, and this was happened. He, he didn't send him to Gulag. Uh -huh. He didn't kill him, but he tortures him. Mm. You know, so, you know, it, it, it was... In, in, in real life. In real, in real life. life, yes. The Bulgakov lived and, and was afraid of everything. And I think Master Margarita, this is his revenge for Soviet, you know, revenge for Stalin, revenge for Soviet Union. And this is what he brings Saturn to show what Saturn could Okay. Do. There are several levels to what we're talking about, and it took me a while to pull it all together. So let, mm -hmm. me, let me see if I can structure this a little bit. So first you have Pontius Pilate, who I can barely remember who he was and what he did, so I, I got to go there. Okay. I got I to have a reminder on that. Um, secondly, this is about the Soviet Union and its authoritarianism and the cruelty of it to its people. Oh, a.k.a. Rome. The right. Rome, the Roman yeah, Empire. Yeah, Roman, yeah, right. Roman Empire, okay. yes. Um, thirdly, but, but it, it, he, 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 I don't know how to pronounce the name, uh, uh, Bulgakov. Bulgakov. Right. Bulgakov. He's writing as commentary on the Soviet Union, right? So he's talking about the Roman Empire, but he's talking also about... And then there's the level of today. And what we're dealing with today with this reemergence of so-called populist, but it's really a variety of populism, because populism, as, as, as people, let's say, in Louisiana knew it in the early days with Huey Long... There were some ragged edges to it, but it was basically much more of a movement towards helping people who were disadvantaged. And populists often hide behind that agenda 
of we're going to help you, the mm -hmm. poor and the people who have no options or jobs and so on. But in, in truth, it, it really is um, a facade to gain power. So uh, then there's the level of the original novel, and then there's your play. Yeah. That's I, based I, on the novel. Yeah. No, no I, I took two only chapters, four chapters from the novel. And the novel is only, the chapters only about Ponty Pilot. He's meeting with Joshua. Everything was happened then. How he trying to, yeah, how he. Jesus, yes. Jesus, Yeshua. Yeshua Hanastri is, is, is the, I guess the Russian name no, no. for. No, it's, it's, that's the, like the, it's actually Arabic the Hebrew name. Joshua. Yeshua. Arabic, Joshua. Arabic name, Yeshua. Yeah, Joshua. I never realized that Jesus was the same as Joshua. Yeah, he's a Joshua. Moment. He's a Joshua, yeah. Yeah. Okay, go so ahead. He's a Jeshua. <laughs> and this is very interesting plot. What's happened, confrontation with Pilate and Jeshua, what's and happened later, and what's <clears throat> happened during these 24 hours. This is how the power machine, you know, government machine works. Right. Roman it, it, machine, Pontius whatever. Pi Pontius Pilate is the procurator of Jerusalem. He's the Roman governor of Procurator. What's the procurator? He's the, like the governor, governor of that of, region from Rome. Yeah. He Rome was, is in control at this yeah. time. He was you know. sent by Tiberian to be the procurator of Eugea. So he responsible of, like government. Of, of Israel, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, well, exactly. Yeah. Okay, where, where Jesus was living. Right. Yeah. right. Yes. Okay, so what happened? What actually, uh, uh, remind me of the history of Pontius Pilate and what happened, because I don't <laughs> remember. Well, this is the Passover Holy Day, and uh, there's uh, a number of criminals that need to be executed. Uh, some are, are Roman offenders, and some are offenders of the uh, of the uh, Sanhedrin or the Sanhedrin, as we say it. There's a number of different ways that say it. That's the that's the religious organization of the Jews, and they have uh, decided that these uh, that <coughs> you know Judas turns in. Jesus, uh, and they want him executed. So they substitute him for Barabbas, who is a criminal, and free Barabbas because you can free one person for the Passover, let him go, and, and, and execute the other guy. And so instead of choosing the innocent person, they choose Barabbas to go, and they execute Jesus. So it's about the machinations of ex the execution. And, uh, uh, and, so, and Pontius Pilate, presumably, he presides over it. He, he knew he knew exactly what was going on, and he was actually the instrument he knew exactly of making it what happen. Was going on. Yeah. He, he has and what was his motivation? What was his motivation? Well, I, you know, I, was he was he kind of in in a sense in cahoots, as they say, with or or aligned with. Not at all. I what, think what, were, the, uh, were the Jews his base, as we say today. That was, you know, um, uh, uh, Trump's base. It's very. It was very political. He was trying to thread his way into that uh, hotbed of uh, controversy with the with the religion and the government of Rome, and he was trying to keep peace, basically. And uh, and he he had to keep his hand on everything that was going on. So as a result, he had his secret service mm -hmm. agents that took care of business, sort of the the CIA or the or the KGB of of Rome, and uh, he he was trying to keep a lid on 
on the on social unrest basically and and basically he didn't feel like uh Jesus ought to be executed so he was he was trying to save Jesus for a, for a time and in fact in, I, in our traditional story he washes yeah. his hands remember in my traditional in story in my tradition in the catholic tradition he, he he gets to one point where he says I don't find anything wrong with this guy I wash my hands with this this is on you you know in this particular version it's it's a bit different from the Bible story. Yeah, so you're going to get a different look at it. It's yeah. more modern. So this is like gospel from Bulgakov. Yes. It's his different interpretation yes. of what's happened. This is his fiction, mm-hmm. but it's so powerful fiction with dialogues, with characters, with atmosphere. So this is why it so very fascinated me to create this piece. Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mouthful, I guess. I mean. uh, it, it, it's, <clears throat> it, it's very interesting. Uh, Natasha, why were you so determined to take this story forward and, and make this into a play and bring it here to New Orleans? Because my mission to bring and, and, and to show people and to reveal for people the best of Russian culture. So this is what I try to do, by the way, 20 years. And Moscow Nice celebrate this year 20 years. And Bulgakov was my long, long dream. I wanted, I cannot do all the novel, but what I wanted to do the best the, about Ponte Pilate inside the inside the novel and this is my mission to say hey people we have Michael Bulgakov here and especially at Dealers University for yes. Dealers University students for the theater <clears throat> department for our general um, audience so I'm so happy about this UNO Tulane uh, Dillard and you got support from, um, you know, the Louisiana Arts Organizations. Mm-hmm. Yes. How did you persuade all these people to support you? <laughs> this, this, is, this is not your average, um, you know, this is not a Mardi Gras Indian parade. <laughs> this is not a second line. This is not, um, you know, anything to do with Mardi Gras. This is, this is mm. for New Orleans, kind of esoteric. Well, I think for Dillard University, it's, a, it's an excellent cultural uh, and, and uh, enlightenment for our campus and for our uh, student body. And uh, when we did this as a stage reading last summer, uh, I suggested that it would be great to have a collaboration and bring the play to Dillard University and and uh, and perform it there, and and also give an opportunity to Dillard students to take part in the production. And we have. We have nine students who work in the production as well as the professional actors and uh, in the production. Um, and uh, it has been quite a work. And uh, we found an opening in our season to place it. And um, we have a beautiful theater, the Cook uh, Performing Arts Center, uh, which seats uh, 250, uh, uh, 250-seater. It has a, a beautiful fly system and state-of-the-art uh, uh, to to do all kinds of wonderful creative things on stage, beautiful stage. So it it just seemed to fit what we were doing and uh, and. Uh, so that kind of fascinates me too. That's a, another part of this conversation, 
is is Dillard and the theater mm-hmm. program because I, I don't really know that much about it. Dillard so, Theater Program is the oldest HBCU theater program in the country. What's HBUC? Uh, it's a historically black college or university. Oh, okay. It's uh-huh. HBCUs. Okay. And uh, it's the oldest. It's in the, the oldest, uh-huh. and it was created by. Uh, 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 oh man, it's, my name is uh, Edmonds. Uh, back in 1934 at Dillard University, and he also created uh, the uh, National Association of Drama and Speech Arts, the Black Theater Association of Schools that uh, do a, a conference every year. Uh, and all of this is about 83 years old now. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it's really an important tradition. Oh, yes. In this, the is, city. this is an amazing tradition. And how many productions do you put on on the average uh, a year? Uh, average now is about two to three. It used mm-hmm. to be four. Budgets are getting tight. Yeah. Ever yeah. since uh, Katrina, it's been right. very difficult. We used to do a musical every year, and we haven't been able to put that together uh, lately. But, um, but we have a, a wonderful production coming up in February. About Ida B. Wells and the lynch. It's called Ida B. and the Lynching Tree, uh, for Black History Month. That's uh, being uh, directed by one of our uh, graduates, uh, Sherelle Palmer, and uh, and that should be very exciting. So um, now I'm kind of the pieces are coming together. I'm beginning to understand it a little bit. Um, I'm still kind of curious about. What happened when his book came out and um, the, uh, uh, the Bulgakov Master Margarita, yes. It was in the 60s when I, I read first time, and I was just shocked. Everybody, everybody in, in former Soviet because Union. Because it was buried for a long it was, time. Yes, for 20 years. It was only after Stalin death and only after Khrushchev came. It was in 1966. And everybody was so shocked and g- grabbed this novel. And we only talk about this novel. You couldn't find it's this. kind book. of like when fear came out yeah. <laughs> on yeah. Trump, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is... Um, and after this, the book, nobody believed that it was a lot of movie and TV show and around all the world. This book was translated almost in every language. Well, you know, I have, um, I was a, a, just a very uh, skimming lightly over, but studied some Russian history. And, um, of course, you can't... Uh, study literature at all without having read some Dostoevsky. Dostoevsky is the author that we most frequently um, access as Americans, I think. Uh, maybe Nabokov. I don't know if you pronounce that correctly. But Tolstoy also. Yeah. Oh, of course it's Tolstoy. Tolstoy, yeah. 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 Chekhov yeah. for theater people. Chekhov. Chekhov for <laughs> right. people, Tolstoy for history. I've actually seen Chekhov yeah. plays live when I used to live in New York. Mm-hmm. But... Um, it, it, it's really, uh, it's interesting, you know, um, our, the ambivalence about Russia and America is so profound. We've gone from um, being allies, people, we were really allies at one point in the war, in, in World War II, we were allies. Then we were Cold War enemies. Um, then there was a thawing, so to speak. And uh, then there was um, kind of a, a period of, I would call it, a smugness on the part of America that we were mm. doing great and they were not Bena- doing so great. neglect, you could say. Right. 
What? A benign neglect. Oh, uh, worse than benign neglect. Yeah. I think that we um, we were kind of celebrating our victory mm-hmm. over uh, over the Cold War, right? Yeah. And then um, and then comes Putin. <laughs> No, before Putin came, Gorbachev, so it was started Gorbachev. But Gorbachev was, again, that was part of that... Part of Renaissance. Okay, I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah. I, I missed a little Yeah, you missed there. this Renaissance the and everything. Descartes. Right. Yeah, and it, I actually met him. I shook his hand. Yeah, I have he a came to, I remember he came to New Orleans. He came to New Orleans when I was working on global green, green mm-hmm. development, and he was head of that national green organization, so... Um, yeah, I walked down. To, uh, he came and talked at a school, international school, as part of our, our programming. So I did get My to uh, meet him. He was mm-hmm. he was an impressive he was gentleman, very, very warm, mm-hmm. very outgoing kind of guy. So he, he, he was um, he was a break from the heavy. So so then you get Putin, Putin, and who now- is a, another version in a way of all of the kind of worst cycles of Russia when there was some kind of despot, whether it was the aristocracy from before mm-hmm. the um, revolution or it was uh, some of the leaders during the revolution, particularly Stalin, of course. And now we have this crazy time of info war, right? When they, the Russians are... And they're not the only ones. I mean, we're not talking about what we do, right? But I'm sure we're out there, maybe not in such a wholesale version, but we're out there doing all this stuff. The Chinese are doing it. Everybody's doing it. But it's a very scary time. But they've become, again, the villains, and especially in association with a guy who's who's in the White House who, I'm sorry, is just plain called a villain. I mean, he's a... Corrupt. He, he's he's a, had five he's a, meetings with Putin, and we don't, we don't know, know what, what they talked the about. <laughs> we don't know what happened in those meetings at all. Here I am making a, a, a uh, yeah. gesture like him. Um, so, um, I uh, I think we're. Am I about to take a break? Okay, y'all. Um, we're going to take a little break. I don't do breaks a whole lot, but uh, we happen to have a reason for doing one just this minute. while you drive is never okay. So to help you focus on the road, here's everything that's happening in your feed. That player you love? Just retired. That team you hate? First place. Last night's finale? Everyone survived. Except for that guy. You know the one. And Mike posted another gym selfie. Hashtag, do you even lift, bro? See, all of this can wait while you drive. Oh, that player who retired? He just unretired. 
This message was fun, but distracted driving is no joke. AT&T reminds you, it can wait. Take the pledge at itcanwait.com. Heroin use has more than doubled in the past decade. More than 9 in 10 people who use heroin also used at least one other drug. And 45% of the people who use heroin were also addicted to prescription opioid painkillers. You are not alone. If you or someone you know is battling an opioid addiction, call Metropolitan Human Services District now to let us help you get your life back on track. Take the first step. It is one step closer to recovery. Contact MHSD today at 504-568-3130 or visit MHSDLA.org. Metropolitan Human Services District, where we change lives. The Urban League of Louisiana is currently accepting applications for the Urban Leaders for Equity and Diversity ULEAD Leadership Academy. The ULEAD Leadership Academy is the leading training academy for advocates interested in learning how to effectively navigate and positively impact the public education landscape for communities of color in New Orleans. ULEAD will provide a unique opportunity for participants to learn how to engage in developing and sustaining a quality educational ecosystem through advocacy, human capital, governance, policy, and entrepreneurship. ULEAD is recruiting 25 professionals who are interested in attaining mastery-level knowledge in the public education system. Participants should be self-motivated, committed to the program, and most importantly, passionate about improving access to quality public schools. Visit UrbanLeagueLA.org to apply today. The application deadline is Wednesday, January 23rd. For more information, contact Dana Henry at dhenry at UrbanLeagueLA.org. WBOK, 12.30 a.m., The People's Station. So we're back. This is Gene Nathan. It's Cross Town Conversations. And by the way, I just want to uh, let you know that we have a new sponsor, uh, the Blake Jones Law Firm. This is a firm that has been helping people for 45 years. And we are very grateful for their support for what we do. Um, uh, as you can tell, I'm, I'm uh, absolutely fascinated with what, I'm, what we're talking about because I have certain connections with all this. You know, again, as I mentioned, I, I did study a little bit of Russian history, just a little. Um, but I also studied about um, the Industrial Revolution and, and all of the economic phases we've been through and how they have played a role in determining history. Because history, to such an extent, is, is really driven by whether people can make a living or not. In the final analysis, that's more important than anything else. And if they have the opportunity to develop their careers. And, and that's one of the things that I want to actually touch on um, because I'm, I'm fascinated, Natasha, with your track. Mm-hmm. And what you've done, because it it, it really it it's um it takes a lot of persistence, I know, uh, and determination and and conviction and and passion and all those good things to make something like this happen, and so and and your whole program the the uh, your Moscow Nights in general so this is not the first time yes. the first production you've yes. done no of course so so tell me just a little bit about who you are. 
Oh, I came from Moscow in New Orleans in 1984. How did you come to New Orleans? I came because I married uh, American guy, Sam Raymer. He's the Russian history professor at Tulane University. Okay. And so it was very hard from beginning. I almost didn't speak English. <laughs> I just, and I, I still, you know, have a lot of troubles. But, but, you know, after many, uh, many years in 1999, could you believe it? I came in 1984, in 1999, in 1998, I had this idea that I have to create something Russian here, because everybody has Russian culture, Chinese, Japanese, you know, Irish, a, a, a lot, uh, uh, from Africa people, I decided I have to do something, and I create first Russian winter festival, which happened in January 24, 1999, and from this, we started Moscow Nights, every year I start to do Little by little, Moscow, uh, you know, Moscow Nice present first Russian festival, second. Then I decided that I have to do not only entertainment. I have to do something with connected with theater and lecture and educational. So for this time, Bulgakov, it will be also accompanied with lecture from Elandea Proffer Tesley, you know, who has a big played a big role in Russian culture, you know, because she has her, she published all this Russian dissident writer, you know, in, in Ardis. So, so she, she also had to um, be as passionate and, uh, and convinced as you are to, uh, yes, yes. to do this, because it's always the hardest thing is to, is to, is to, Deal on the dissonant side of life. Yes, she's professor of Russian. It's not easy. Yeah, she's professor of Russian literature. She knows Russian language. She translates almost a lot of plays and stories from Bulgakov, and she wrote wonderful book about him, Life of of Mikhail Bulgakov, and uh, and she read uh, Master Margarita almost the same. Year when I year, she was 21, you know, I was almost 20, maybe 21. So she's in America, I, I am in Soviet Union, you know, and a lot of passion for Michael, Mikhail Bulgakov. Sure. And um, so it's interesting because also New Orleans, we're very known for being very multicultural, very diverse, but the focus is always on our origins, French, Spanish, African-American, Native American. Later comes an Italian population, German. Yes, German. You don't hear about Russian. And now you have Russian. I always, <laughs> I'm you doing don't hear this. about Russian. We have a lot of, of course, America, we're, we're filled. I'm uh, half, not half. I'm one quarter Russian Jew. Mm -hmm. I'm one quarter Hungarian Jew, one quarter Czech, and one quarter Slovak Catholic. And I was raised mm -hmm. Catholic. But um, I'm half Czech, yeah. You're, you're a half and halfy? Half Czech, half Italian. Half which? Italian. And? Czech. Oh, and Czech, really? Yeah, oh. Uh, from uh, uh, Bohemia, actually. Oh, uh, you're real Czech. Yeah. I'm actually, <laughs> I'm half Slovak and half uh, Czech. And I don't actually know where my Czech grandfather uh, is from. I only know about my grandmother. But I actually went back to Czechoslovakia and visited the little village that my family is from about 
uh, what are the kilometers in miles? I don't know how you translate kilometers. Yes, kilometers, yes. 30 kilometers from the border of Ukraine mm. is where my family is from. Very close to where Andy Warhol is from, and also Ivanka Trunk, oh. <laughs> Trump, <laughs> who was. Um, anyway, so I, 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 there's, I have a kind of a spiritual or I don't know what ethnic uh, connection with all of what we're talking about. Um, let me turn to Ray. So, Ray, you've just revealed yourself to be Italian and Czech. Yeah. That's an interesting combination. Yeah, well, it's uh, Sicilian, really. What? Uh, Sicilian. Uh, so many people in yeah. New Orleans are from Sicily, yeah. sure. so they came over in that wave uh, at the turn of the century into New Orleans, you know, and settled in, uh, in, in Mississippi, southern Mississippi. Southern Mississippi? Mm-hmm. That I didn't yeah. know. I, I thought it was more uh, straight into New Orleans. Yeah. It's, there's a large, uh, well, you know, Tennessee this, Williams writes about it as well in his play. Uh, uh, and, so, you know, there's a large Italian, you know, it's it's all the same along the coast. I mean, yeah. really, that division, you know, along the coast is, is not as distinctive as it is when you go into the hinterlands, you know, when you go up. But, uh, oh, sure, yeah. Bay St. Louis, Pascristian might as well be a little little uh, suburbs of New Orleans, for that matter. Yes, but I, I at the same time, I've, I've always uh, known that, and I, I've spent a lot of time on the Gulf Coast because um, uh, on the coast of Mississippi because my husband, when he first came here, he actually worked on the, on the uh, coast of Mississippi mm-hmm. on the redevelopment of the, of, um, the whole coast after, Katri- uh, after Camille. So and and we still have a place over in the woods over there that we hang out at, yeah. But um, I, I didn't know about um, uh, an Italian uh, connection. In fact, I can't think of a single Italian restaurant on the Gulf Coast. <clears throat> well, um, my brother had a great restaurant. It was mine. It was called Verzell's, but you know all, that's funny. I, when he, I heard the name Verzell, it seemed familiar. <laughs> Where was it? Was it right near uh, Gulfport? It was in Gulfport, right, right across from the port itself on, on Highway 90. Was it hurt by the Katrina? No, well, yes, but he was yeah. the first to open after the storm. He's retired now. He's, he sold the restaurant to the, to the But just there. recently, right? Because I actually, now that I think ago. of it, I went there with Jerry O'Keefe, who was the mayor of Biloxi and one of the founders of the Oro O'Keefe Museum over there. Mm-hmm. This is just turning into it's a personal crazy. conversation. <laughs> let me get back to <laughs> let me get back to what. Um, so, but uh, but you have been involved with theater for yes, most uh, of your life. Oh, so my, let, yeah, let me get much, your background too. Pretty much my whole life, uh, I, um, I I got a theater degree from Spring Hill College in Mobile. I got my master's at UNO. Uh, I've worked for a, a lot of places in the country and came back here eventually and uh, and taught at uh, New Orleans Center for Creative Arts for 21 okay, years yeah. mm-hmm. there when I came back and um, and then wound up at Dillard University right after the storm. They need a theater person and, uh, and a director, so I went over there and I really, really have enjoyed being at Dillard University. Dillard is, a, is, a, is low profile mm-hmm. in our city, but... Everybody, I think, always views it with respect and maybe a bit of curiosity because it, it's, it's it, in a certain way, it's kind of, I want to say, an elegant university. Nice. You know, it's, of course, very beautiful. Yeah. But also its programming and its focus has always struck me as being, uh, as having an aesthetic component. You know, I'm going to switch gears and go back to talking about the um, a, a play. And... Um, 
Jazz, I think that uh, you have a little selection from the play. Yeah, and this, this is, is a, a chapter. Tell yeah, us, set us this up. This is ep- epilogue, epilogue, uh, just epilogue when Satan show show his you know companion. This is what happened with Pilate, you know, after everything was happened. Very expressionistic. Very ex- yes, and he said, look on the moon. Not realistic. Look on the moon. He's sitting here more than 2,000 years. So, we so it's, a, it's a point of revelation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeshua, Yeshua, I did not finish what I wanted to say long ago on the 14th day of the spring month of Nisan. The execution did not take place. No, it was not an execution. And cowardice was undoubtedly one of the most terrible of vices. Yes. Now we shall always be together. Where you find one, you'll find the other. I hate my immortality more than anything else in the world. When people remember me, they will immediately remember you. Yeshua. Yeshua. Come see this. You must come. <laughs> no, you must. Come. Obviously, it's very powerful. Um, the, and, and I think that uh, there's obviously yet another level that we haven't touched on so much, but it's it's the, um, as you say, actually, you did touch on it in the very beginning of the conversation about the guilt. Guilt, yeah. And how that guilt never leaves you. Mm. And you have to imagine that anybody who commits a violent crime, which is what yeah. that essentially was, um, has to carry that with them in every cell of their body for the yeah, rest of their yeah, life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There is a theme or an idea about cowardice and what it means and how that is the worst of all human vices that comes up in the play that deal, that, that Pontius Pilate mm-hmm. is dealing with. Almost more than guilt, it has to do with, you know, not doing the right thing. Explain that a little bit more because cowardice is the theme of what's happening in Washington today. Yes, so again, exactly. I see the connections. It's exactly the same. Exactly. You know, because you have all these Republicans who are just, um, you know, tolerating and dealing with a man that they know to be immoral. You see what, what's immoral. staring you in the face, What what's the way it should go, but it never goes that way. You know, it's it's always being perverted in some way by other forces. And it only takes one person to stand up against it and he doesn't. In he has point to be of fact, the one in that he case. Was the, he was the one with all the power. He was the one that could do it, who could defeat that whole, you know, uh, customary thing that was going on there. But uh, but again, he was he was also bound by Rome, the power of Rome, and and he had 
he had to stand up for Caesar, so to speak, in a certain way. So he was, which is what they're doing he, again. But he had to he folded. In Congress. He, he, did, yeah. he wasn't brave enough to overcome that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, of it's course, it's exactly what's happening with this standoff right now. Mm-hmm. Nobody w- wants to do the right thing. Uh, not that nobody wants to do the right thing, but there are certain people who have their hands on the on the lever. You know, Mitch McConnell, above all. If he would move things forward, they would move forward. He is the, he's the one who's blocking a vote because all they had to do, really all they have to do up there now is vote and let it go to the desk so of. He's now got the, uh, he's, he now bears a lot of the blame as well. Absolutely. I yeah. mm-hmm. uh, no, absolutely. More so, I think, than almost anybody because he knows better. Trump actually is crazy enough he's crazy i mean if he's a shakespeare play he's 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 absolutely um immoral and unable to see how terrible the things he are doing are mitch mcconnell knows he knows and he is uh, not allowing a vote to be taken in support of this guy to protect his own political life because of the base, as they call them, the the people who have been hoodwinked, sadly, by Trump. So, I mean, but here we are. We're dealing about something that happened. uh, What century was that? It's it's (laughs) 2,100 years ago. So, as you said... People never change. People never change. This is what the the the, uh, the the trends in our personalities and in the way we deal with the world, mm-hmm. they're all there, the same as they yes. were then, as they are now. But every dictator power will come to the end. Whatever it comes, <clears throat> it will suffer a lot, but it will they will go away. This is this is what also ends up with. Well, that seems to be both ways, though, yeah. doesn't it? Because look, we had Obama, and we thought we had a big breakthrough, and then the pendulum swung right back to the worst. That was the that was in a way we all thought. Oh my goodness, who thought? I, I, I'll be honest with you. In the very beginning, I didn't think Obama could win, and I think a lot of people didn't. And then he does. And we think, okay, America's actually elected a black president. Yay, everything is getting better. And then, bam, we get Trump. Yeah. So it's not just it, it will end, the bad stuff, but that it, 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 it just tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock goes back and forth between the good and the, and the terrible. Your play is going to be uh, presented... First, this Saturday, the 19th, and the next Saturday, the 26th. Yes, Saturday is uh, the 19th and the 26th at 8 p.m., and Sunday, the 20th and the 27th is the next two weekends at 3 o'clock, 3 p.m. On yeah. Sunday. So yes. Sundays, it's like a matinee. It's a matinee. matinee. And then on Saturday nights, it's... Um, it's it's a regular and the prices show. are so reasonable. I just heard what they're charging to go to the Rolling Stones concert mm. coming up with the Jazz Fest. One hundred and eighty-five dollars a ticket. Well, you know, uh, to go to Le Petit and see the Christmas Carol was fifty dollars a ticket. So, ticket prices are yeah. 
climbing. I, climbing. Yeah, I think we charge very little money. It's a very we, cheap. We, we but you're only charging $25. $25. Yeah. And if you're a senior, only $20. $20. And if you're a student, only $15. $15, It's a bargain. I think I think students and and uh, seniors in particular are um, really going to uh, enjoy this because the seniors, because again, it reflects on their history that they've experienced, and students, I think, are going to be floored. Yeah, and and they you will see. Yeah, we will see a bunch of one our best. Actors from New Orleans. You know, we have wonderful actors. Yeah, tell me about the actors. Yeah, we have uh, Casey Groves and Ray Brazel and Randy Majore. We have all Kathy the, Randall's. Kathy Randall's, uh, Diana Shortes, Diana Chris Shortes. Lane, and we and, have uh, some Jeffrey. new. Yes, and Jeffrey. Um, Goldshore, yes? yes, and Jeff Jeffrey is just who played this Satan, and he's a choreographer. And I have, you know, I want to tell you that I I had a pleasure. I work with my old friend on music. You could hear the music. So all play. The is music is beautiful. Beautiful. So you have an original. I, I have an original is that right? score. Mm-hmm. Yeah, original a, score. We have we have people, professional people. Diana Kupsa who did. Set, um, set design. We had another Diane did lighting design. We have costumes. So we have everything. It's, it's a theater. A really it's a production. theater. I think yeah, that it, it, everybody pe- have to rush to After come. all, it is theater. It is a it's a it's a beautiful piece of theater. It's a unique story. Uh, it's not a unique story, but it's a unique version of the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea of bringing all these people together, it's been you know, it's it's a great educational tool for our students at Dillard University, so it fills our objectives so beautifully at Dillard to have all that come together and watch it come together from, with a with an outside group, with people that they're being introduced to from the outside, uh, and not just the the regular you know faculty who is is there all the time. So it's been a great opportunity for Dillard and uh, to to sort of house it and collaborate on it. And then they have, we have, uh, as I said before, we have nine students who are, who are directly involved in the show as actors, backstage crew, uh, operators, tech operators. So So the educational value is enormous. Yeah, it's enormous, enormous. And, uh, and, uh, I'm just hoping that the student body will turn out to see it. (laughs) I've bribed all my students to come see it. So I, and, and I hope that, uh, we can get people to come to Dillard. Uh, Dillard has been, we've been trying to get the community back into the theater ever since Katrina. And before then, we had such a wonderful, especially the Gentilly uh, uh, community really uh, came out uh, for that theater. But it's been a long, hard pull since Katrina to get, get, it, get that core of, of people back into the theater. And I think if they come back and see what's going on, they'll really... Well, you know, I have to say, um, of all the art forms, uh, theater is the one that I've been least involved with. I've been a dancer. I've been a music producer. Um, I'm very involved with the visual arts. Uh, all, everybody in my family uh, is a visual artist. But theater in New Orleans is surprisingly strong. And uh, I, I noticed the other day I was kind of looking for something that I had in the advocate uh, in the Boku section, and I and I looked at the theater listings, 
Mm-hmm. And they were they went on and on. It was almost like a whole page just for the theater presentations. That would not be surprising to see, of course, in a city like New York or Chicago or even Atlanta. But uh, for New Orleans, I, I, you don't think of New Orleans in terms of theater. You just think music, music and it's, yeah. it's really Dance, it's food. really unfortunate because of it's it's so varied, uh, so much theater is happening all the time. Although I, I have to say that. It could use a little more influx of money into that area, you well, know? and I think f- that's what holds it back. Is is really that uh, a lot of theater companies are, you know, by hook or by crook, uh, and they're putting it on in spite of everything. And uh, and it's really a lot of it is fantastic, really fantastic theater in the city, very strong. I, and and um, I think that uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure what we can do to raise that profile. For one, I should really start doing more uh, coverage of it in uh, my publication that I put out my newsletter and carry more stories about theatrical productions coming up. But, um, of course, we are the city of Tennessee Williams. Yes. (laughs) And they have the Tennessee Williams Festival, which uh, is grown every year. Right. And it's a great festival, too. And it's a great festival. Uh, So it's... It's it's a vital part of our community. It really is very very strong. So I'm thinking about your theater, and um, uh, is it the same as where people sometimes hold meetings, or is that a, there's a church on your campus? <coughs> there's the uh, the the chapel, the chapel, uh, which uh, which houses meetings there and services. So that's where I've been. Yeah. So there's also George's Auditorium, which is a brand new building, the, uh, the PSB. It's called professional schools building and that's a 400 seat auditorium that is housed uh you know elizabeth warren just did a a, a visit there an interview uh the president of the university holds what's called brain food where he brings in luminaries uh, to give lectures and uh, have uh, talkbacks so it's it's a dynamic uh, space this uh, george's auditorium as well as uh, the chapel as well. But um, I'm sort of fascinated with um, the idea of using your theater for a production that I'm involved with. I produced a um, something called the Ninth Ward Improv Opera. Oh, wow. For <laughs> the occasion of the 10th anniversary uh, after um, Katrina. Mm-hmm. And it, it's basically about the um, breaking of the levees, the flooding, the deaths, uh, the resilience, the commitment to stay, the bureaucratic opposition, and then ultimately um, the celebration, but also uh, the increasing activism that resulted from the storm and and, the, and some of the people who, um, who came out of the worst of what happened in the Ninth Ward. And it, it, uh, it involves um, uh, audience participation as well Wonderful. as uh, music, singing, uh, spoken word from Chuck Perkins, the guy who was uh, on the air just before me. He is the narrator of it. Uh-huh. Um, and we have a documentary that we're uh, fil- finishing right. on it. And I'm thinking it would be great to screen that yeah. in the theater because I want to follow it with a kind of youth component that mm-hmm. maybe we could do with the students at Dillard. That's, sounds great. I love that idea of it. And do you, uh, so you do host as you do with this Moscow night mm-hmm. and um, the. Um, uh, 24 hours in the life of Pontius Pilate. You do uh, host other theater oh, yes. companies all the time. There. Yes, absolutely. And it's beautiful um, theater. Beautiful. <coughs> and, and many you fa- will enjoy. And many facilities on campus yeah. can be rented. 
I mean, it's it's a it's open for public use in a lot of ways. It's actually I don't uh, you're probably familiar with it. I I don't know if you are, but you may be. But um, Dillard, as I understand it, was sponsored uh, extensively by Edith Stern. Yes. Who is one of the major philanthropists of the city mm-hmm. at a time when there wasn't a whole lot, there still isn't a whole lot of philanthropy, as you were saying, we don't have enough funds for the arts. Right. But um, the Stern family uh, was very much a part of the founding of Dillard. Yes, one of the uh, oldest buildings on campus is called Stern Hall, mm-hmm. which is right across from uh, Cook, the Cook Center on campus. There's Rosenwald, um, I forget what role is, he was the Sears Roebuck uh, 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 Ed, Ed, philanthropist, uh, and there's a building named after Ro- him Rosenwald, as well. Rosenwald. Rosenwald. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of history involved at Dillard University. Well, and you know, Dillard University is celebrating its 150th anniversary this year, is that 2019. Right? So it's a big year for Dillard University. Uh, on when? When is? Uh, right this year, 2019, this year, yeah, yeah. is the 150th anniversary of the college. So when is going to be the, the kind ga- of celebration the, of that? The gala, I should have brought that information. I'm really amiss, but it's on the website. There's a big gala coming up in uh, April. Okay. And uh, uh, Patty LaBelle, I believe, is going to be. <gasps> ah, one of my uh, absolute favorites. Be on the, uh, I think is going to be on the bill. I may be wrong about that. But uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of, uh, of uh, things planned around this 150th uh, anniversary. It's a big deal at Dillard right now. And we're a part of that yeah. with 24 hours of life. Of- so I just want to tell you, so I, I want people to come to hear the lecture on January 19th by Ellen Day Proffer okay. at yeah. 7 o'clock. On January 19th. At uh, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock in 7 the theater. It will be uh, next building. And that precedes the performance. Yeah, yeah that, that will be in George's auditorium. Auditorium. In the building right next door to Cook new, Center. Yeah, beautiful new building. And 8 o'clock we have our show, 24 hours of point. Pointy, pointy pilot, please come. Now, please come. Let's, again, the tickets are, are inexpensive, $25, general audience, 20 for senior, 15 for students. And it is um, parking, parking, parking. parking. Uh, you park behind Cook Center, and you park behind the the uh, uh, the PSB so as well. So people can GPS Cook Center and they'll yes, see where the yes, parking is. Yes, Absolutely. It's kind of towards the back of the campus, right? Yes. No, I, Cook is right uh, the no, St. I mean Anthony Street gate is behind Cook. It's, it's yeah. a gate. And behind uh, PSB, it's right there in the front of campus. Yes. Right. 24 hours <laughs> in the life of Pontius Pilate. And for those who have been listening to the show from the beginning, you know that I did preview that Leona Tate was going to be on. Uh, and this is the second week that we didn't quite make it, but she will be on <laughs> next week. So um, please come back for that uh, on on following, of course, the big celebration for Martin Luther King Day. And we'll be talking about the continuing civil rights movement. 
Thank you very much, Natasha and Ray. Thank you very much for being here Boy, and for so much. Uh, uh, having our so generous with your time. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, things happen like that. This is Crosstown Conversations. It's Jean Nathan, and so we had no show last week, and today we had an extended yes. show. Yes. On, <laughs> thank on, you, uh, Miss Dillard Jean. University and the life of Punch of Pilots. Yes. Thank, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Jim, very much. Thank you. Talk to thank you all you. next week. Bye-bye.